0: Good. Good morning. So it was 1st of December 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama. Rosa Parks did something important. You all know what this is, don't you? Um, Bus driver James F. Blake ordered her to vacate a row of seats in the colored section of the bus because the white section was filled and then another white passenger had got onto the bus. So the next row of colored seats beyond the white seats, which were at the front, should become white seats. And uh, what she did that day was a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement in the US, yet it was not an action she had planned. Up until that day, she had many times given up her seat on the bus when the bus driver asked her to. Speaking afterwards, she said, people always said that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically, no. The only tired I was, was tired of giving in. Right? She also explained that it was her faith that enabled her to uh, disobey the law and stay seated that day. Now, in, the, um, in this um, book that we're looking at, it's one of the letters of the apostle Peter, he calls us to live like Jesus in the world. Now, why is that? You see, Peter is telling us, how we can win others to Christ. That's a big theme in this book of uh, First Letter of Peter. And, and as people come to Christ and come alive in Christ and come into the family of God, what that will look like. And Peter says our walk should match our talk. It's a, it's a truism, isn't it? And uh, so uh, today is much more about the walk. Uh, next week, I think it could be about the talk, which is really important, as well. But it, he writes about our conduct, and he writes about how we're going to explain to others what faith is. So in one Peter two twelve, he says, "Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation." So our conduct is a message to people around us, but also Later on in chapter three, he'll say this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer, your talk, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Your conduct still matters. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good conduct, your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. So he's talking about in this letter about our conduct and our conversation. But today's passage is still focusing on our conduct. And so Peter has been applying this message about be holy because God's holy to a whole series of specific situations. And today, um, interestingly, because um, Jack mentioned the marriage course, he actually comes to the specific of marriage, and a very particular situation of a married couple where the wife has converted to Christianity. Now you may say, whoa, Andrew, that's not my situation. Well, maybe not, but Peter's going through various specific life situations, and you know the universal is always found in the particular, so there's always something for us to learn. And then you may say, secondly, wait a minute, Andrew, that's not your situation. And that's true because um, I'm not a woman, obviously, and uh, my lovely wife here shares my faith in Jesus. But um, Peter also addresses husbands in the passage, and I'm on the rotor for today, so cut me some slack, eh? So... Um, this word for conduct appears 13 times in the New Testament, but eight of those times are in Peter's letter. So he he's, he's cares about uh, our conduct. And it, conduct matters, lifestyle matters. For the last 15, 20 years of her life, I visited my grandmother most weeks. I felt God prompted me to be faithful in that and to pray. In fact, I was praying that she would turn to Christ before she died, and she lived to 103. Um, And almost without fail, she would turn the conversation to faith and attack my faith in Jesus. Why was she so angry about having faith in Jesus? Well, the reason is this, because she was raised in a home where her father was cruel. He was violent, he was a gambler. Um, She had a brother, two brothers and a sister. The sister died in childhood, I don't think anything to do with the abuse. One of the sons ran away and was never heard of again, and her other brother eventually hanged himself. It was not a happy place. Their mother had abandoned them. She was treated so cruelly, she abandoned them, and that those days, she left the children with them. She was so bitter, and the reason she was so bitter is this, that he dressed them up and took them to church every Sunday, right? Conduct matters, and hypocrisy poisons. Uh, And so in this letter, Peter repeatedly calls all believers in Christ to be humble, to be meek, to be gentle, to be respectful, to be submissive in their conduct. And those attitudes help guard us from hypocrisy, from thinking we're better than other people. But is that the whole message about Christian conduct in the world? Is God's call simply a call to submission, gentleness, deference, respect, even resignation in our relationship with other people and wider society? no. No, no, Peter says. If you read this letter attentively, you'll see that Peter invites us to walk a much harder path, to model both submission and subversion, both deference and defiance, both respect and resistance, both to give up our seats and to refuse to give up our seats. In other words, we're not to be passive or victims. You know, where we used to live, I was 25 years leading a church there, and at one stage, the local authority under the dictat from central government, produced a strategy document for, I don't know, it was like 10, 15 years ahead, and they did lots of consultations and produced this big A4 booklet with seven major chapters in it, and, uh, and I knew, because I, I was the longest standing minister in the whole borough, that no church leaders, no churches had been involved in the consultation to produce this document. And then after it had been produced and published, the churches, various people were invited along to meetings about the different chapters. And the churches were invited along to a meeting about the heritage chapter, right? Loaded, isn't it? So I was a little wound up even before I went. Um, Then there were lots of platitudes and stuff like this. Uh, and nothing was mentioned about churches anyway, and eventually I couldn't bear it anymore, and it was an open meeting, so I, I spoke out, and I asked how it was that the document could be written with a whole chapter on children and youth uh, in it without consulting with or mentioning the largest provider of voluntary children's and youth activities in the borough, the churches. It was like silence in the room, right? There was this deadly hush. I went on to wonder why the churches were only included in the heritage chapter. I mean, I said, so I said to the church is about people, not buildings. It's about the future, not the past. It's about change, not nostalgia, and, and various things. And then I, I sat down, and there was this long pause, silence. And then there was applause. I thought, phew, that was good. <laughs> right? So... You know, there's times to defy, to subvert, to challenge, and that's what Rosa Parks was doing that day, and it, it, with much greater consequences than for me. 2,000 years ago in the first century, women could not own property, and before marriage were entirely under the power of their father, and after marriage, entirely under the power of their husband. Well, what did that mean? It actually meant that a father could kill his daughter without answering to the law it meant a husband could kill his wife without answering to the law we're talking about a very different social situation and when this uh, so so when peter wrote this if a man was converted to be a follower of christ his wife his servants everyone would be brought to church as well but what happened if a woman was converted but not her husband this was a common situation we know this in the early church which was a liberating community for women, and it's addressed in our passage today. So as I read this passage, listen out for how Peter calls for both submission and subversion, deference and defiance, respect and resistance, and how Peter calls wives to subvert their families for Christ. So, 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves." They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Amen. Thanks for, a bit, thanks for his word. So in verses five to six, Peter tells us three important things about Old Testament women that he sets up as a model for wives who follow Jesus. For this is the way, he says in verse five, this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Firstly, they, we... we They are women who hope in God. Where we place our hope is where we look for our happiness. The Bible repeatedly tells us, don't outsource your happiness. There's a tendency in us to make other people responsible for our happiness. But this makes us hostage to them and whether they do the job that we want them to do. Sometimes we slip into thinking we can only be happy if we can pass an exam, get a promotion, win the lottery, have a partner, have a child, whatever. Peter reminds wives not to outsource their happiness to a husband or anything else. A job, a business, a promotion. Make sure they're hoping in God for the future and for happiness. When you outsource your happiness, you give control of your life to another. It's not a good place to be. So um, there is only one person you should outsource your happiness to. That's God himself. On four other occasions in this letter, Peter mentions that hope in God is the true ground for Christians to stand on. So it's his message to all people, men and women. It's not just for women. So secondly, he then says, they are women who do what is right. If you do good, the ESV has it. Sadly, there are some Christians who read these verses like this. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what your husband says. This is not what it says, does it here? It says, you are her daughters. What does it say? You are her daughters if you do what is right. And also if you do not fear. Let's take those in turn. Peter defines obedience differently to what we expect. Yes, he's calling wives to good conduct, the same call he's been given to all believers in his letter. We're all called to conduct ourselves well. The call of a Christian is, first of all, to obey God. And maybe the biggest hindrance to our sharing Christ is that we're overly submissive, deferential, and respectful to our friends and relatives. We don't want to cause upset. We don't want to be thought odd. We crave acceptance. And in this letter, Peter tells us that upset is inevitable if you're going to engage in mission. To be godly, we need to mix submission with subversion. We mix deference with defiance. We mix respect with resistance, just like Rosa Parks. And that's exactly what we read earlier in 1 Peter 3.15, which is the next slide. You know, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We, we, we defy the social demand that we must never share faith, but we do it respectfully. We, we, we walk this difficult path of both together and that's what I think Peter calls women to because he doesn't say, as we'll look in a moment, I'll get to that in a moment. Thirdly, they are women who do not give way to fear. In the ESV, if you do God, do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. A Bible passage like this can evoke memories of being abused, manipulated, etc. by abusive fathers, mothers, spouses, like my grandmother was. But Father God wants us to know that abuse was never his plan and never his will. That experience was hell touching earth and Father's plan for us is an experience of heaven touching earth. That we would live without fear or rather without being controlled by fear. I find I can't necessarily prevent me feeling fear in situations but I can choose to ignore that fear and act anyway and that's what courage is about. Father God does not want us controlled by fear. And I just want to take a slight detour here, because clearly violence and abuse and trolling by men against women is pandemic in our society and is utterly embarrassing and shameful. I think it's awful if I go out at night, say, to go and post a letter at a post box and there's a woman in the road in front of me and I can see she looks over her shoulder and she's fearful because a big, tall man is walking in the dark behind her. I think that's dreadful. I'm ashamed of it and then I'll perhaps go to the other side of the road or go home and start again a bit later or something because I'd hate to think of that, that. And that the statistics for, like, from, op, um, you know, 232 women on average report being raped each day in England and Wales. That is shocking and awful. Um, and the issue of domestic violence, to two women murdered by their present or former partners each week on average is shocking and dreadful and... Um, If you go on the NHS website, you can find the signs of domestic abuse, coercive control. I've just got a few slides here. Uh, You know, uh, it's questions you can ask about your relationship with your significant other. Are they jealous and possessive and suspicious? Do they cut me off from family and friends, try to isolate me? Are they charming one minute and a monster the next? Do they control every detail of my life? For example, access to money, who I should see, what I should wear. Do they monitor my movements with GPS settings on my phone? Do they force me to show them all my texts, WhatsApp and Facebook messengers? Do they blame me for the violence? Um, you, there's a whole series of things here. Maybe we, I can put them out on, on a blog, but you can just look them up. If you Google this on the NHS website, you can find these things. It's good to make a check. I'm not saying if any single one of these things you say, yep, tick, Elspeth and I share our locations on our phone, but it's mutual. It was a decision, it was a choice. If Elspeth wants to turn it off, that's fine with me, yeah? So I just lay these things out because domestic violence, domestic abuse is wrong, God hates it. If you're in a situation like that, you should get help immediately and you should report it to the police. Um, And I think that's important to be said. The outstanding Old Testament passage about wives is Proverbs 31. There we read about a model wife, this, to jump through the slides. sorry, uh, to that slide. Here we go. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I just love that. When a woman or a man has her hope in God, she laughs at everything the future will bring and might bring because she hopes in God. Peter's vision for wives is to be the daughters of us, Sarah. Women who fight anxiety that rises in their hearts. They wage war on fear and they defeat it with hope in the promises of God. And uh, so let's laugh at the days to come, women and men. And you know, with hoping in God and doing what is right, living free from fear is something Peter calls all Christians to as well. So you can find that in 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14. Right, It says, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. It's a call to all of us. Fear is a joy killer, fear is a faith killer, fear is out to pull you down and get you messed up. Rosa Parks said this, I was a person with dignity and self-respect, and I should not set my sights lower than anybody else just because I was black, right? Or just because I'm a woman, or just because I'm a child. Whatever you want to fill in there, God made you and he made us in his image. Now back to 1 Peter 3, 1 to 7. So it says wives submit to your own husbands in verse one. Hold on Andrew, submit, that's a tough word. You talking about just what I'd expect Christians maybe to talk about being patriarchal, misogynist. Well I don't think that's what the Bible is teaching. Jack spoke a couple of weeks ago on submission and the the merits of it and uh, you can go and listen to that i really recommend that but let's see how peter actually defines this here because he say it says wives in the same way submit or likewise submit so he's referring back to his previous references like in 1 peter 2 submit yourselves he's addressing all christians for the lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, etc., etc. For it's God's will that by doing good, right, having good conduct, you should silence the talk of ignorant people. So there's a context here. And I just want to point out a couple of things here from 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6. Submission does not always mean agreeing. Whether it's citizens submitting to the law or wives submitting to their husbands, this is never mindless. Rosa Parks was a disobeying the law of her land when she stayed seated in that bus seat. But that law was commanding something ungodly, wrong. And so as Jack made clear, those kind of laws can be and even should be disobeyed at times by Christians. And uh, the scenario is clear here this woman has become a christian her husband has not according to the social norms of her day she should have his religion and has no choice in the matter but peter makes very clear that she is entitled on this the question of the most of ultimate reality and meaning in the universe to and she's found christ she should hold on to her faith in christ and be defiant in holding on to that but not defiant in angry ways but in a submissive way. So submission can't mean agreeing with all that a husband thinks. It can include holding to a different or opposite or contrary opinion. And then secondly, again in that context, submission does, did not mean avoiding any effort to change a husband because Peter's saying here about how a he, wife may win her husband to Christian faith. That's the whole purpose of what he's instructing here. In other words, he's saying, wives, I want you to try and win your husband's to follow Christ. Now, Peter, I think, is, is discouraged. You know, he's talking about submission, respect. So, you know, nagging is not the way to do that. I know both men and women can engage in nagging to try and change their husband or wife. It doesn't work and it won't succeed. Or shaming is another thing we can try. But that's not, again, talking about being submissive, respectful, shaming is not the way for either husbands or wives to try and adjust one another. But the call of a Christian is first of all to obey God and that requires to some degree subversion, defiance and resistance of social norms. It requires, I would suggest, a godly mix of submission with subversion, deference with defiance, respect with resistance. And in marriage, Peter says we aim both to delight and to defy one another where we need to stand ground for god 's way, so what about husbands um, and um why six verses for wives and only one for husbands? Well, we actually know from the historical record that churches attracted many, many more women than men in the early, in the early days of the church. So I think that's probably the only reason why. But let's look at this now. Husbands, show honour to the woman. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, verse 7, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel since they're heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Weaker? Don't tell me I'm weaker, you women object. What is meant by weaker? And clearly, this is a point that can be argued. I I, I think we can just say maybe that testosterone is responsible for men generally becoming larger and more muscular. And in the days before electricity and what have you, that probably counted quite a lot and led to a lot of uh, certain kind of domination on what have you. So um, I think that's probably all it means. So I leave that with you. Um, but certainly where people are weaker, scripture normally says the stronger ones should share power. And a sure power, surefire way of sharing power with others is to give them honour and respect. It's to big them up so that they know that you think they're important. Now, you know, Elspeth and I... We walk at a different pace, I tend to walk faster, so I need to walk more slowly if we're going for a walk together. I try and kind of get her going faster as well, I have to accept. But um, another difference is that when it comes to crossing the road, I am quick. I want to get places, so I'm like, there's a gap, boom, I'm across. And uh, Elspeth's more cautious, and so for many years what would happen is I would end up on the other side of the road (laughs) waiting for Elspeth to cross. uh, But I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me one day. Andrew, you should stop that. I felt it was just important. It was kind of honouring to actually let's cross at her pace rather than me cross and then wait for her. It wasn't caring. It wasn't respectful. And the Holy Spirit can speak to us like that and can draw us on in ways in which we can do that. Find out your spouse's love language. There's a book by Gary Chapman, isn't there, about love languages. Find out their love... You'll learn about this on the marriage course. It's really worth doing. I just say, please do that. Whether you... Even if you feel, oh, our marriage is great, well, come and make it greater, right? Um, And if you think, oh, because, you know... Anyway, just come along, all right, because your partner might feel you've got room for improvement and the course might give you the opportunity <laughs> to grow, right? Because, because your husband or wife might be thinking, there's a few things I wish you'd listen to, and the course may just give you that opportunity. So respect your partner by coming on the course, saying, let's go together, right? And, and out, when it's finished, don't go see, I've been telling you this, or any <laughs> stuff like this, after each e- episode. Give each other. Don't don't make it a time for blame, but an opportunity for change. Right. So we mix submission and subversion, and we do it as God, the Holy Spirit, leads us. So um, um, we. um, uh, So I must rush forward here. So. I don't know, any of you watch Escape to the Chateau on TV? It's a Channel 4 programme. I, I just love the couple, Dick and Angela Strawbridge. They just have a lovely way with one another. And I watch that, I think I want to be more like them in in in, in how I honour and value uh, Elspeth, only I've still got a lot of, sort of, a, a lot of... I need to grow in that a lot, so... Uh, and wives, it's also true for you. If you put down your man, and you're, then you're putting down yourself. You know, when, when we honour, we're actually building one another up. So big up your wife, men. And women, let's big up our husbands for those who are married. So I've got a few, four points for us to take away as we try and wrap up here. And uh, my screen's just gone blank. Isn't that helpful? What's this thing? So, Yeah, let's place our hopes for happiness in God, right? Let's place our hopes for happiness in God, not in things or people. We're not victims. We choose life and it shows in our conduct. Mother Teresa said that a person filled with joy preaches without preaching. I want to encourage you to be um, that person filled with joy. Um, I, I knew this widow once and she used to, she, she, she'd been widowed some years, but she, she'd been a Christian all her life. She loved to go worship. And she says it wasn't until after she'd retired and he'd husband retired that one day he said to her when she came back from church, does going to to church really make you that happy? Uh, It took him decades to notice. And after that, he went to church with her and he never stopped going. But uh, that's a ridiculously happy story. The point is, leave spouses in God's hands. Hope in God, not your husband. The closer you are to someone, the more you need to walk the faith rather than talk the faith. I suggest. Um, so, um, and so the most important thing for all of us in the day is to get up and find your, get yourself happy in God and go into your day with the strength of your joy. Uh, that's not advice for people with mental health issues. that's another ball game, okay, but it, it's worth doing. The first permanent job I had after university was as a shop assistant, and you know I just felt, God, I thought, my, I thought your call on me was different to this. And I was miserable. But, you know, God used the time I spent working as a shop assistant. And he spoke to me through proverbs. There's lots of proverbs about being cheerful. And I found that when I determined I'm going to be cheerful at work today, the day used to go much quicker. Right? Joy is a wonderful thing. Treasure it, look for it, seize it. Get rid of joy killers. Number two, let's not give way to fear. Right? Um, let's laugh at the days to come. Right? It's a good thing Joy is a defeater of fear. And number three, plan meaningful time with people who don't yet know Jesus. I heard um, recently some talk about people saying they try and spend an hour a week with neighbours or workmates outside work who don't yet know Jesus. Oh, I thought, wow, yeah, that, I wonder if... I, I need to be more intentional maybe. We'll hear more about that in weeks to come. And um, And then lastly, don't be defeated by failure. However messed up we are, Jesus provides a way back. Later in chapter 3, Peter will say this. Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous, he was righteous for the unrighteous. That's you and me. That he might bring us to God. He's made a way to always bring us back to God. We are not everlastingly failures. We have the way of a fresh start in Christ. And I want to commend that to you. Remember that. And one last story, when I was a brand new Christian, I went off to university and found I was sharing a room with a guy called Chris, who was being sponsored through university by the army. Uh, I knew almost nothing about Christianity, but I tried to tell him about my faith. And one day when I asked him to church, he agreed to come. And that Sunday evening, church was awful. Um, you know how extra sensitive you are when you bring someone to church. Maybe you're here today, you brought someone to church and you're extra sensitive and you're thinking, Andrew, I wish you'd stop or whatever. Um, (laughs) It was like that, you know, I wish the preacher would stop, the worship was dreary. Um, The gathering ended and I thought, goodness, I'm going to have to ask him what he thought, you know. So I steeled myself and I turned to him. And you know what? He was weeping. He was weeping. And he came to Christ and he's still following Christ. God can use us even when we're not very good. If our hearts are right, so, but let's be the best we can for Jesus, yeah? And and reach out and make a space for people to know him. Do you understand as we, maybe Adam and the band are going to come to the front and we'll have some more time to worship, but I just wonder if, if there's anything that you... you that you would reach out to God, something that's landed in your heart this morning. It could be nothing to do with what I've said. It's something else the Holy Spirit's highlighted you. But you know, it's not blessed to hear the word of God. It's blessed to do it. And I want you to make a little plan with yourself and agree with God. Just do some business with Father right now. It's so easy to either just become resigned just to kind of cooperate with what the world demands of us And, and we just get smothered by the world or we can become, there are some Christians that are just angry, nasty people. That's not what God, God doesn't call us to either of those. He calls us to a place in the middle where we're respectful but also resistant. Where we're submissive but also subversive. What does that place look like for you? Do you need to recalibrate somewhere? Have you got too angry? Or are you too compliant? And God wants to call you into a great middle path. Anything about your marriage that God's just flagged up there, it's shone a light. What are you going to do about that? Is there a conversation you need to have or a resolve to make? Make it now, I, I suggest. We do, God, I look to you first. Mm.